0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The black, the black, the black, the Blackwood Show. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I'm Taylor Blackwood, and this is my show. Let's jump in today. We're doing a news rewind. It is Saturday, August 29th, and I have got the trusty Wall Street Journal pulled up in front of me. I haven't read all these articles and details. This is a little bit less formal, but I'm going to cruise through, give you guys some headlines, give you guys some thoughts, and uh, hopefully be a good jumping off point for anything you guys are more curious in, want to do a little poking on, want to do a little research, go see what's up. So let's stop. Let's start out a uh, front and center. We got new wave layoffs making pandemic job losses permanent. I'm actually going to click on this one because there's probably going to be some good stats in here. I did kind of peruse it a little bit this morning because so I read one or two of these articles before jumping into this. This is normally what I do first thing in the morning: is pop open the Wall Street Journal on you know the app on my phone and kind of see what's going on. I have a couple other news apps, I normally cross reference it across uh, to try to get kind of a more balanced view. So. That's so how I handle my news most mornings, primarily Wall Street Journal. And then I pop open, like I get a, a morning recap from New York Times and Bloomberg. And then sometimes I'll read like CNN and Fox together. If I'm going to check out anything from either of those, I like to have like opposing points of view on that. Um, continuum, right? But anyway, so I did pop open the Wall Street Journal uh, this morning and kind of skim through a couple of these articles. This one was really interesting. So a new wave of layoffs is washing over the US as several big companies reassess staffing plans and settle in for a long period of uncertainty. This was the fear, you know, that the coronavirus, everyone was hoping it'd be a quote unquote V-shaped recovery, which again, huge spike down because we shut down, we can't be out in public, we can't interact with one another, so the economy must shut down. And that, of course, is going to decimate economic activity like we saw, you know, GDP dropping, you know, analyzed rates of like 38 percent in the second quarter, something crazy like that. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but it's huge. And then we're hoping for a V-shaped recovery that once we get a grip on the virus, either through like social distancing and shutdowns or hopefully a quick vaccine, which is looking like we're going to get that we'd have a V-shaped recovery that everyone would just kind of go back to work. Commerce would resume. And the plan for that is the government doing a bunch of programs in between. So they're going to come up with ways to stimulate the economy. They did direct checks to citizens uh, under a certain income threshold. They did PPP loans to incentivize small and medium or small and medium size, I would call it, but I guess medium minus size employers, less than 500 employees, I think was the cutoff. They were incentivizing them. Hey, if you don't do layoffs, here's a loan and it gets forgiven, you know, essentially like a grant from the government, which is kind of brilliant. So they were encouraged not to lay people off for a period of time and, Um, then we had all sorts of other stimulus, not the least of which is like unemployment benefits for the people who weren't working, which kind of kept people spending money who were sitting at home where normally people get very conservative and kind of batten down the hatches. And that would have, you know, reverberating effects through the economy if they stopped spending money. So anyways, we did all this stimulus and the hope of all that was that V shaped recovery would become a reality. That rather than this being a prolonged recession that's really painful and, and, and hurting, that we would have this quick recovery, jobs would be held for people ideally through like the PPP loans and other programs and spending and, and a strong consumer, and that we'd kind of bounce right back at the end of the coronavirus pandemic. Well, it's starting to really grind on. And I think the narrative has kind of shifted if you watch the politics side of things. I, I don't get into commenting on my opinion of the politics on this particular podcast. But I do want to point out that, you know, originally the narrative all of us were getting was, hey, flatten the curve. Hey, make sure the hospitals don't get overrun. Make sure that they have plenty of capacity to treat people. And, and the fear was we're going to have so many coronavirus patients and ICUs that we aren't going to be able to treat you if you come in for something else, you know, something we could have cured, you know, a heart attack, a car accident, blah, blah, blah you know we thought we we're going to have deaths left and right of things that we, that were you know curable not just the coronavirus patients getting the care they need but also just the average citizen who gets in an accident or has another ailment whatever you know we want to make sure hospitals are available which is a very noble cause during a time of uncertainty and again it's easy to criticize these decisions in hindsight but you have to look at it in the moment these decisions are being made oh it's so stressful you got to remember now it's easy with hindsight bias. We know the ways, you know, the virus turned out, but at the time we didn't know what happened. We didn't know if, you know, these initial patients who were having these terrible outcomes, but somehow survived, you know, had ongoing issues we'd have to treat. Maybe we'd have millions of people with, you know, uh, crazy uh, pulmonary issues, you know, issues breathing for the rest of their lives. And there's some anecdotal data that maybe the coronavirus will have lasting impacts even on the survivors, right? So at the time, we didn't know what we were dealing with exactly. And the shutdown seems to be the prudent thing to do. But again, the stated goal of that shutdown was to flatten the curve. That's what you you heard from all these different people. If you go back and read the old articles, that was the big talking point, making sure the hospitals have capacity, give them enough time to build some more ventilators, give them some more time to build temporary ICUs, make sure that we're ready for this surge of sick patients coming. And by and large, you don't hear about flattening the curve as much as you kind of hear at least insinuations of we need to eradicate the virus, that any spreading is unacceptable and that there's kind of a new goal out there where we're going to keep this semi shut down economy trucking along, at least for a period while, uh, I don't know. I don't think there is like a really stable. I guess the vaccine is kind of what most of the people are hoping for to allow a return to normal. But, you know, what was originally supposed to be a temporary shutdown just to make sure we're equipped to deal with the virus and then as close to return to normal as we could get has kind of turned into let's defeat the virus before we let things go back to normal. And that has a lot of uncertainty for employers. And, and listen, again, I don't want to get into the politics of whether that opinion's right or wrong or something in between. What I want to do is point out these different trends for you guys so that you can look at how it impacts business and how it might impact your decisions as a leader, as maybe as a business owner or as an investor, X, Y, Z, or at least just someone who's curious about the economy. I want you to be kind of equipped for how these trends will affect it. Well, this new norm of we need things, you know, we need a return to normal for all consumers to feel comfortable, for the media to stop whipping up a frenzy, X, Y, Z, has now led big employers to do layoffs to make some of these what were supposed to be temporary pandemic furloughs into permanent layoffs. So we have MGM International, Stanley Black and Decker, MGM's leading the way. I think they are firing eighteen thousand um, employees who are on furlough. That's really scary. Because now it's kind of solidifying that we aren't going to have a V shaped recovery. Some of these big people, at least in these early industries that were hit particularly hard by this, uh, are, are doing layoffs. We have Yelp on there, which of course is affected by restaurants and probably have a slowdown because less people are doing reviews or whatever. Cheesecake Factory, that's an obvious one. You know, most. Uh, um, States have big restrictions that man, the service industry, I'm so nervous for man. That is just heartbreaking. Talk about some of the hardest working, you know, people in the United States and they're working for razor thin margins with really competitive landscapes. Restaurants are always on the brink, always on the brink of not being profitable, of going out of business, whatever. And here, you know, you take their cherry off the top. If you tell them they can only have 50% capacity or something, even cutting back their staff, they're still not going to be profitable. And that's before you get into the economic impacts of all these waiters and waitresses and cooks and, and you know, chefs and uh, cleaning staff and all the ancillary, you know, food suppliers and cup suppliers and blah, blah, blah. All of them are going to get crushed by this. And it's going to have reverbering, reverberating effects for everyone throughout the economy. You know, a 50% drop in that industry is going to affect even like a healthcare industry or something like this, five to ten percent, And something that I worry about for our business for sure. Is that if the entire uh, tide goes out, right, then all the sinks or all the ships are going to sink. All the sinks are going to ship. There you have it. Your trusty podcast host can't keep his words straight. <laughs> but anyway, so so you know, I'm worried about things like this dragging down the whole economy for everyone and sure enough, we're starting to see early results of it where MGM is doing layoffs because the casinos are just decimated. You can reference my, my podcast on my experience in Vegas in the Win to see why, but man, you know, they're having a really rough go of it as you might imagine. So that's a really scary reality for sure. Uh, Cheesecake factory, like I mentioned, you know, obviously operating restaurants, that's gonna be really hard hit. That hits a little close to home too. I think it was Cheesecake Factory that bought Fox Restaurant Concepts. And boy, does it look like he's a genius for the time they sold. It's a local businessman, really sharp guy named Sam Fox. And it looks like he sold to Cheesecake Factory. I think it was in 2019 at the end of it, mid, middle of it, just before this pandemic. So talk about fortuitous timing for him, but not for Cheesecake Factory. So they're doing reductions as they adjust to the new reality that many coronavirus-related closures won't be resolved this fall. Oh, man, that's crazy we were really hoping, you know, Trump was talking about having this thing done by the summer or whatever. Um, most people were hoping for the fall. Now it's looking like the vaccine is going to be our only way out. And those vaccines have a lot of unknowns. I can talk about that on a different podcasts, but that's not certain either. So now we're starting to see real and dangerous economic data ticking in with these layoffs. Because remember, the economy is a big feeding cycle. If there's good, uh, strong, a strong consumer, if there's strong sentiment, then people are going to spend money. And if there's negative sentiment, if people are losing jobs, if people see their neighbor out of work, they're going to stop spending money too. And this could have a really negative cycle for the whole economy. This is a weird one. A day after Salesforce posted record quarterly sales, the business software company notified its 54,000 person workforce that a thousand would lose their jobs later this year. That's not like a huge cut. You know, talking about close to 2%, but that was a terrible headline to pair together. I got to really second guess them on that, especially because their owner is a real activist type, you know, Silicon Valley type, varying everyone's face about how moral he is and playing the PR card, blah, blah, blah. You can Google it, but he had all sorts. Let me pull it up for you guys, but he had like Salesforce CEO, what is his name? Mark Benoff, right? And this is an incredibly wealthy guy, $8.2 billion. And normally you don't get criticized by me for just running your business and doing your thing and, uh, you know, making normal business decisions, even if they're hard ones, like layoffs are just, gosh, that's just sad. You know, we really avoid them. I'm really proud of my company, knock on wood. So far we've avoided layoffs during the coronavirus. I'm really, really proud of that. We didn't do any reductions in pay. And something I'm even more proud of is that we continue to do raises and open new practices and employ more people. So I'm really proud of the way we've handled this, even though, well, I won't get into too much with the personal details, but yeah, so it's, it's something I'm really proud of is that we prioritize that through our, our cover of this. And suppose, you know, Mark Benoff, he really started off trumpeting the same thing. I'm gonna put him on blast a little bit here because he had Mark Benoff layoff promises. Let's see if this will pull it up because he led like this big initiative uh, to not do layoffs. And he tried to get, uh, all these different people to sign on. So he Salesforce bent off pledges, no significant layoffs for 90 days. Uh, so he did it for 90 days. That's what it was. So he promised no layoffs for 90 days on March 26, got a lot of positive press for that. And then as soon as that gets up, he posts record profits and a thousand layoffs. I just think that's a bad look to get all this good PR. And then as soon as the nail cycles, the The news cycle is supposed to forget to go and do layoffs, especially when your company is posting record results and you are in some place like Silicon Valley that won't beat you up if you uh, or won't beat you up as hard, and you have huge margins and all this. I just don't know if that's an opportunity time for layoffs. Now, playing devil's advocate with myself, I will say that you know sometimes these layoffs, companies will use them to get rid of unproductive workers or something like this you know, that basically they might get sued if they fired, you know, a thousand people for underperformance over the last six months. But then if uh, they do it with layoffs that are justified, then it's way harder for those employees to sue or something like this. And so maybe that's why they're doing it. And there's some more, <laughs> there's some more complication in the story, but boy, on its face, it's just not a good look for him to be laying people off. And he's tied in here with MGM Resorts, So that one makes sense to me. You know, the casinos are shut down for a, a long period of time, they were totally shut down. And now they're just like a shadow of their former self. So they're not pulling in nearly as much money. Layoffs are inevitable there. Cheesecake factory, layoffs are inevitable. I don't, I don't hold that against them. American Airlines Group is on here. United Airlines Holding have said more than 53,000 workers could be affected in about a month if airlines don't receive another infusion of funds from the government. I kind of respect them for holding out. I, I went to Seattle this last week with my beautiful girlfriend and we uh, bombed around, had some fun. I was kind of looking at it for prospective new clinics uh, and doing a little space shopping and research about the area. And then we also tied on a a little bit of fun in that trip and it was awesome but I will say flying through the airports was spooky man you know we were leaving here from Phoenix and then to Seattle and Phoenix it was a ghost town there was all sorts of businesses beautiful businesses and this brand new terminal they had just remodeled just closed you know all sorts of local restaurants that opened a second location there like parlor pizzeria is one of the best pizzas here in town in Phoenix and They had a place in the airport that was closed, all sorts of other ones. We were worried we weren't going to get food at first walking through the terminal. There might not be a place for us to grab any lunch. And there ended up being like one restaurant open that we ate at. But you just see like even Starbucks was closed in the terminal there at Phoenix at Terminal 4. It was really scary. Wait, Terminal 2, sorry. We flew out of Terminal 2, flew back into Terminal 4. But nonetheless, you know, Delta isn't one of the biggest ones that we have here at Phoenix Sky Harbor. And their terminals a little slower. But still, like I would say three quarters of all the businesses there were closed, if not more. So the airports are a ghost town. Obviously people aren't flying as much. My flight was half empty and I hear anecdotes of some flights being full, but they're running way less flights. If you look it up, I mean, the airlines are just obviously killed during this, you know, airlines also really rely on business travel. Cause if you think about it, people who fly on their business are less price sensitive. So like if you're going to book something and expense it through to the business, because it's a flight you need to do for work, you're going to A, try to stretch that budget as much as possible, try to get the best seat. And B, uh, you're going to be less price sensitive about booking the most convenient flight and not saving money and things. So that, that drags up the whole market behind it, that everyone has to spend more money because there's this consumer sitting at the top that's spending other people's money, OPM. (laughs) So, you know, if it's not coming out of their pocket, they might be a little less scrupulous about, upgrading their seat, upgrading to first class, uh, what time they fly. Instead of taking the 6 a.m. flight to save 50 bucks, 100 bucks, they might just go ahead and pop on that noon flight because it's more convenient and they get to sleep in. So, you know, that little cherry on top is totally gone. The person themselves and that extra force they have on pricing sensitivity for the whole market. So this is a really dark time for airlines. I'm proud of them though. You know, you got Salesforce posting record numbers. Old Marky Mark up there wants to beat his chest and talk about how he's not going to lay anyone off. Here's American Airlines, United Airlines. Yeah, they've had to furlough some people, but their industry's destroyed compared to his. And here's where they're saying we need another infusion or else we're going to have to lay off more people. Well, I kind of commend them for not just go ahead and doing that, that they're trying to go to bat for their people. It's a crappy situation. I feel so terrible for everyone involved. But at least these companies are going to bat for their people on, on some level. At least that's what this headline this article uh, suggests, I should probably look into that more after this, but I, I, I'm going to give them some low key props based off this article saying that, you know, that here's the layoffs we're going to need to do, but they're not doing them yet. They're hoping to get that bailout and hopefully the government steps up and does the right thing. All this is against uh, a political backdrop that, again, I don't want to get into the specifics of my opinion or anything like that, but it's just a fact that there's a lot of deadlock now. Now they're holding up extra stimulus bills and couple that with all these huge furloughs on the rise. <sighs> I'm scared, guys. It's kind of frightening that all these, you know, all these uh, layoffs are coming, and we can't get another stimulus package that disincentivizes that, that maybe uh, gives these employers some money if they don't do layoffs. We need to get one of those passed really, really fast. I think. So that's some troubling news. You know, I've been talking about how, of course, we have terrible economic news, but so far it's been offset more than sufficiently by the stimulus packages passed. That's kind of been my general opinion. That's been my reason for being a bull in the stock market and investing heavily. Frankly, at the the very bottom of this, I timed it very, very well with reallocating some of my cash position into stocks. And so far I've been bullish and held those positions, you know, that I think things would continue to go up. This is scaring me. This is the first early sign that, that some of the ugly, Uh, sentiment is becoming a reality, you know, that some some of this people being scared is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're now they're going to, um, now now they're going to lay these people off and there's going to be more permanent and lasting effects. It's really hard to get people employed once they're unemployed. It's easy to cause unemployment as we saw with the coronavirus pandemic, but it takes a long time without stimulus to get those people back to work. And this could be a grinding recession if the government doesn't step in and do more stimulus to mitigate this, especially because this crisis is going on so much longer than most people anticipated. So it's a scary time i'm watching this closely i want to watch consumer sentiment and i'm really really watching to see if they get the stimulus done because again separate from the politics of it the practical consideration is if they don't get it done we may be in for a really rough road ahead so this is the first time that i'm kind of starting to consider pulling back some of my assets in the stock market i personally write covered calls when i want to sell stock, so i get a little premium that week and see if it strikes and therefore i sell the stock So I think I might do some short-term covered calls again, which I have not been doing lately. I've been trying to hold on to my long-term stock positions. I might churn some of that out and try to get back to a slightly larger cash position because of this until at least we see what the government and the Fed do to stimulate this. Now, the Fed has done their part. He came out and did a huge thing uh, earlier this week that I might get to if there's an article about it in here. But the the government needs to couple that, and that's something that Janet Yellen who used to be the the Fed chair. I was reading another article. Um, it was on Market Insider. And I'm gonna butcher this guy's name, but it's Mohammed L. Iron L. E. R. I. A. N. L. Iron says ample Fed liquidity is causing excessive risk taking in the market. One thing he says in here is that him he was echoing uh, Janet Yellen's statements that the Fed's actions need to be coupled by legislation. You know, Congress and and the president need to step up and do their part or else them in a vacuum won't be sufficient. So that's an interesting insight and something that I agree with. So you really need both the Fed acting strong the way they are, but also you need um, uh, the government to step up and legislate some of these stimulus packages like I just outlined to really keep this thing rolling. So let's move on. What else we got here? China tightens tech export rules and make TikTok, TikTok talks. So a uh, quick recap, You know TikTok got, drew the ire of uh, Politicians, particularly President Trump, said that because of national security risk, basically because they're owned by a Chinese conglomerate that may spy on American citizens, blah, blah, blah. It's called by dance, but they may spy on American citizens that um, that he's going to force their sale. You know, he said you're either going to shut down operations. Or you're going to sell to an American owned corporation within this time period. Kind of an unprecedented thing. I did a podcast on it, at least the, the initial uh, unwinding of it. So you should check that out. I'm going to do a follow up once we have some more details on it. One thing I called out on that podcast, because I'm a genius, a very humble genius. (laughs) No, one thing I did call out on that, though, is that uh, China would retaliate. And here, sure enough, China tightens tech export rules amid TikTok talks. So they weren't just going to take that on the chin and sit back. Of course, they were going to fire back. And so far, it doesn't seem to threaten the trade deals, which is good. Uh, But yeah, of course, they are not just going to take that sitting down. That would be one to watch. That could have real consequences for tech businesses doing business in China american tech businesses doing business in china because they're very protectionist and and i figured they wouldn't take that sitting down that trump requires one of their companies to sell their u.s operations in order to continue functioning now that might have been the right thing for national security i'm not necessarily disagreeing with it but sure enough here they are retaliating and that will affect markets and will affect stocks involved airport shopping has been on a tear for years now what uh, so there, there you have it. That's what I was talking about earlier, that the shopping in particular in these uh, in these airports is just decimated. People were flying a lot. There was kind of a push towards travel instead of only buying luxury items and things, or at least more of an allocation towards travel and experiences leading into coronavirus that obviously has been totally undone. Um, so that's where you know, all these different businesses are shut down. So traffic is once teaming terminals down to a trickle Oh, this is in London's Heathrow Airport. Traffic at its once teeming terminals is down to a trickle because of the coronavirus pandemic, leaving the airport's retail establishments largely closed. The few pubs, boutiques, and restaurants that are open are essentially operating in a ghost town. It's exactly my experience. The loss of those sales has a major impact on Heathrow's business. Retail revenues at the airport have more than doubled in the decade since 2009. Wow retail revenues at London Heathrow have doubled in the decade since 2009. That is huge growth. And now bringing about 25% of its overall revenue each year. Wow. Airports share that dependence globally. Retail sales brought in $78 billion for the world's largest airports in 2018. So, you know, that's one of those things where if, if you were forward looking, maybe shorting some of the stocks that have, uh, or betting against, I should say, by shorting the stocks that have a presence in retailing in airports only, or that's like a majority of their business, would have been a really smart thing to do because it looks like they're going to have a really rough go of it and continue to uh, uh, get hit. Maybe, I don't even know, are some of these airports publicly traded? I know some of them are are not you know, government owned, of course, so maybe they are publicly traded. Heathrow doesn't charge retailers rent, instead takes a cut of sales. Oh man, they got to be regretting that decision. In normal times, as many as 80 million passengers pass through Heathrow owned by privately held Heathrow Airport's holdings limited each year. So there you go. That one's privately held. But nonetheless, there probably are some publicly traded airport companies. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, there's just a business for everything, right? So that's a fascinating article. I definitely saw that in my experience in Seattle. Even in Seattle, things were slower and lots of stuff was closed. So it's a tough time for them. Talk about the, the cherry on top being gone for sure. And I'd say their, their existence is threatened through this. Let's see. California fire season may worsen with resources already thin. Man, that's sad. I have a friend who's a firefighter in California. Talk about some brave men and women who go and fight those fires for you. So they have an ugly... You know, everyone thinks that California is like beaches and stuff, but they have an ugly time of it with... um Uh, forest fires. There's two drivers of that in my layperson's understanding. One is that, of course, most people don't understand, but California is like largely desert. As you get into the Inland Empire and stuff, it's not just glitz and glam and Beverly Hills and San Francisco Bay and, you know, the water in Newport down to San Diego. And it's not just beaches. You know, there's a huge Inland Empire of what is basically desert towns, like like Phoenix almost, right? Sometimes as hotter, hotter, small towns and stuff like that. So the climate, they kind of have everything from skiing and, you know, big bear actually just outside of LA. So you can be at the beach and be skiing in like an hour and a half or something like that. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, Lake Tahoe, of course, you know, beautiful skiing, lakes, blah blah blah. So they have alpine, they have beach, they have skiing, they have desert. It's crazy, you know. In California it kind of has a full representation of all the ecosystems. So, anyways, I guess you know, one thing is that big rain and precipitation makes healthy bushes and stuff. And then if there's a dry spell, all those bushes die and kind of dry dry out. All the vegetation turns to basically kindling. So then one little spark from a a storm or something later, you know, lights all that dead brush on fire. So they make initiatives to clean out the brush or to put fire retardant in it and try to stop it. But that's a sad thing, man. So there's gonna be some California fires sparking up this time. It doesn't look like it's caused by, um, the utilities I saw someone make a joke about how uh since the utilities were so careful about not starting more fires this year that when there are fires that that would be good to bet on those stocks that going to be bullish for them I think I saw that on Wall Street Bets which is a hilarious community for investing I would not take their advice seriously but if you want to go see some serious gambling on options and uh you know people leveraging themselves to the hilt to try to change their fortunes that's a that's a crazy place to go read and there's a lot of comedy throughout a lot of uh uh, native jokes, right? So if you're of the community, you understand a lot of their humor, but it's, it's a hilarious place if you're into trading. Check out Wall Street Bets on Reddit. But anyways, uh, I saw that joke on there. It's, you know, it's just sad to see those fires, but yeah, I mean, there might be some things to look at, you know, who are the companies who are fighting those fires in California, who has those contracts, who's going to be there for the repairs. You know, what, what, um, the big thing is like storm chasers, they're fire chasers as well, who go back and, and like, you know, um, contractors who rebuild those houses and repair the damage. You might look into who does that. There's probably some good opportunities there. Um. Let's see here. The future of cleaning oil spills: robots, wood chips, and sponges. I mean, that's a fun read. I'm gonna check that out after this. Coupon clipping fades into history as COVID nineteen accelerates digital shift. <laughs> yeah, my mom used to be big on collecting coupons, and we'd always I'd see her spread out for a couple hours and clip out all the stuff she wanted to use that week. So really it's it's a good practice on two different levels. One is that you know, of course, you save the money and all that. But it's also like, I've talked before in this podcast and some of my leadership episodes, but you get what you measure. If you sit around spending time thinking about saving money and clipping coupons, maybe that's not the right outlet for most people, but it it does change your mentality about spending your money, about self-budgeting. I need to do some podcasts on personal budgeting and personal finance. I think I'm going to get into that this week, in fact. But, you know, the coupon clipping is a good physical way because I've found doing things in person rather than just on your computer or on digital devices has a different feel for you, or at least it does for me, for the human brain in terms of taking something seriously and learning new behaviors. So I think that coupon clipping, you know, of course you save the money and that's always a good thing to save some dollars on equivalent items. But the other thing it does is it makes you very cost conscious. It makes you think about how you're spending your money and how you might do it better. So my little two cents on that. RNC ratings, final night draws 23.8 million viewers. The audience for the fourth day of the 2020 event was 26% smaller than in 2016 and 3.2% smaller than the DNC event held this year. So that's interesting. Less viewership on politics right now. People are probably just worn out. At least I am. I'm totally worn out on politics and totally worn out on bad news and negative news. So maybe that's contributing to that as well. Trump administration begins payroll tax deferral plans. So they are pushing this through. This would be worth you guys reading up on for those macros we were talking about earlier when it comes to the economy, what direction we're pointing. I don't have all the details on this immediately, so I'll do a follow-up on it, but the Treasury Department began implementing President Trump's plan to allow a payroll tax deferral an executive action he says will help households weather the pandemic ravaged economy, but which faces significant practical hurdles and skepticism from employers. The government's announcement came late Friday, just four days after it's scheduled to take effect. Postponed some payroll taxes that would normally be due between September 1st and December 31st, which makes them due between January 1st and April 30th. So it postpones them, doesn't forgive them. Under this approach, employers who opt to stop some paycheck withholding could now withhold twice as much as usual early next year. Interesting. So basically you're going to see some uh, bad times for the end of the year here. And then you're going to delay those payroll taxes. Payroll taxes are interesting. Most employees, in my experience, look at what they take home. Some people have even told me, oh, I make this much money, but really what the number they were quoting me was their net, you know, after taxes, what they had in their bank account which I guess isn't a bad way to look at it. But, you know, from your employer's point of view, you're doing, you're paying people beyond gross. You're paying people, of course, their gross salary and bonus and the amount that it costs you, but you're also paying your share of taxes on them and all their benefits. And a lot of that stuff isn't seen to uh, most employees, I'll say. <clears throat> so I guess the concept here is this would make people feel richer in the short term, which would improve consumer sentiment and make them more likely to go spend that money that they see more money in their account. But it's kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? That, you, know, you have uh, a deferral rather than a forgiveness there. So people are going to get double withholdings early next year. It's going to slow economic growth growth. Gee, I wonder why the government might be wanting that. <laughs> it's not like there's an election in November where everyone would feel richer going into it. Oh man. I wonder why they would push this policy. <laughs> Basically you're going to get short term relief and only, only to have to pay it back later. It looks like, so that's not true stimulus necessarily It's kind of temporary. Um, psychological plays there. It does put money in people's pocket in the short term, but I don't know if that's a great, that's not the stimulus we need anyways. It's not adequate. Um, but is one little, it can be a decent little add on basically. I'm not impressed by it, but it's not a bad thing either for, uh, the, the economy I should say. So Mr. Trump on August 8th ordered the treasury department to allow the tax deferrals under law that lets the treasury secretary postpone dead, tax deadlines after disaster. Huh. It could still take time for private payroll companies to reprogram their systems. And employers concerned about cost and legal exposure may not bother changing workers tax withholding. When I first heard about this program, that was my take on it was, okay, well, how does this get administered? What are the details? What if I, with or don't pay someone's payroll tax, like this is telling me to delay it, but what if that person quits? you see what I'm saying? Like, what if they quit in November and go get a different job or don't get another job? So they're not paying back that social security tax next year. Who's going to be liable for them? Am I paying both halves of the, of the payroll deferral tax? It just seems like they haven't really answered a lot of questions and brought a lot of security. Maybe I need to research it again, but that was my initial questions about it. When I first saw this program announced, it looks like they're really trying to, to roll it out quickly. Oh, here we go. The government action doesn't actually change the underlying taxes because only Congress can do that. Employees would still owe the taxes eventually. So someone making 75000 annually could save as much as $1,550 in 2020, it would have to pay that same amount later. So it's a big break for you but then you're going to, again, you're going to have to pay that back later. Mr. Trump wants Congress to forgive that tax liability. The IRS document issued late Friday says employers must pay those taxes in the first four months of 2021 or make arrangement to collect the taxes from the employees. So this is what we're worried about as employers and why I would be very skeptical about rolling this out at like my business, for example, because they're saying we must pay those taxes in the first four months. Well, again, what if someone quits? How am I supposed to quote unquote make arrangements to collect the taxes from employees? Or am I supposed to like sue people who have quit? it just doesn't make any sense. It gives a huge lie. Basically it just puts that liability on employers who have the deep pockets and what's going to end up happening in practice is all those people who do get shafted by the bill that they can't double up someone's payroll tax. And by the way, whether the, the unpopularity, like you're going to get a surge in popularity, like, oh, I'm making more money at my job at the end of this year. And then early next year, they're going to be pissed. They're not going to want to see their checks go down. So I I just don't like, there's no upside for this for employers. And they're the ones who are going to choose to administer it. So I just don't see this program getting rolled out, to be honest, unless they gave us the forgiveness of the tax liability locked in, that would be different, but they haven't done that yet. So talk about a sloppy program. Without a clear explanation, we fear that too many employees will be unprepared for the higher tax obligation in 2021. Additionally, we are especially concerned about the IRS employees because an overdue tax debt can have severe job consequences. Exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm unimpressed by that. That's getting a down vote from uh, the Blackwood show. This podcast is anti that. <laughs> that's a little strong, but anyways, I'm not impressed. What else we got that's interesting on here? Labor Day grilling, the spicy side dish that could be the main event. I bet that's not getting many clicks compared to all this controversy going on. We tested 50 face masks to find out the best. This one's hitting near and dear to home for me right now. My ear is messed up from these masks. I've gotten some of the ones that really pull on your ear, and it's like cutting off the blood flow to my ear. I'm having all sorts of like... Um, uh, like a lot of pain and stuff. So I'm having to switch to like a bandana that covers my nose and, and mouth. Um, which is kind of interesting. It could be from like the prolonged period of wearing it on those three hour flights, plus the airport before and all throughout Seattle more than when you're at home, obviously you don't wear it walking around your house. So, uh, it could be that just all that extra mask exposure starting to mess with it, but that'd be an interesting thing. How many people get cauliflower a year because of masks, <laughs> The unintended consequences of the coronavirus pandemic. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so they tested the 50 face mask to find the best. I'm going to switch to the bandana this week and try it. I ordered them on Amazon last night. Some Levi's bandanas to see how those work out for me. There's your little random fact about Taylor for the show. FDA expands emergency use of Gilead's remdesivir in all COVID-19 hospitalizations. Wow, so that one's really working. It looks like that'd be worth watching, uh, Gilead. It's cool to see that you know we have the vaccines are on the rise. You know, Russia famously approved theirs. I'd be curious to see how that data is going and how people are doing with that um, uh, vaccine. It looks like we're gonna have a lot of them really soon. There's some major studies going on for everyone. From uh, uh, the big one is uh, Moderna, which I invested in and hold a small position in. There's CureVac and all these other ones in a race to see who can get the vaccine out first or to be in that that big push. An interesting thing that's affecting my business with that is that there's an international shortage of needles and syringes because there's all these people gearing up to have to deliver two to three shots to every single human being on planet Earth, right? So so now all of a sudden there's this huge strain on needles and syringes and we're really pushing to build our stockpiles in anticipation of these vaccines rolling out. But it's funny how all these things have reverberating effects. I bring that up to you guys. So, that, you know, I wish I'd, I should have seen that coming, right? And maybe invest in some of the suppliers of these medical uh supplies or maybe invest in i don't know the the needle manufacturers themselves like who knows right and look at the valuations and decide but um there's all sorts of unintended consequences when someone says all right we're going to need to give a vaccine to every human being and you go well what do they need to give the vaccine they need alcohol swabs. Who makes alcohol swabs? Oh, look, this company has a great foothold in that market and a great moat. They're ramping up their production. They're going to post huge numbers and no one's really noticed yet. You know, people haven't thought that far ahead of what stocks would be affected in positive ways by this major shift. There's all sorts of those things going on. Trust me, there are going to be articles written for decades about fortunes made during the coronavirus pandemic. So be one of those people get creative right now. Think ahead about the things that, you know, that's the one I should have caught. You know the fact that there would be more needles and syringes being produced i'm sure that's already priced into those stocks or overpriced in those stocks now but you know find that next thing that you know about that you can be uniquely positioned to help so, anyways, that's a little quick overview of the news on Saturday, August 29th. Hope you guys enjoyed. You can always reach me at the Blackwood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I know there's lots of great ways to entertain yourselves, not the least of which are a bunch of great podcasts. So thank you for listening to little old me. I'm back in town, so I'm gonna be doing more podcasts next week. Talk at you soon.